Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Kelly, from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, a different woman shares her story, often in a live setting, with the bottom line being that God is good. This episode, however, is a little bit different and it's special in that we have a couple sharing. We have one of our team members, Sarah Beth, and her husband, Clay. And then on the next episode, you'll hear Amanda, one of our other storytellers, team members, and her husband, CJ. We had a couple's event one evening where we had about 80, maybe 90 people gathered together in Robin's home. Robin is the founder of Storytellers. And we had these two couples share on what God's shown them through their lives and through their marriages. Because Sarah Beth had shared her story at the very beginning, she was the first meeting, the first story, the first podcast episode. She wanted Clay to be able to share his experiences and his stories at the live event. But we did do a recording a follow-up interview at the end of this episode where she had some thoughts that came to her following the event that she wanted to pass along and to share. If you haven't heard Sarah Beth's story, which is in episode one, let me just give a quick introduction. Sarah Beth and her two children were living in Auburn several years ago when she became a widow. She lost her husband to a fatal heart condition. And as she was grieving the loss of her husband and her life as she knew it, Clay and his two children were facing change in their lives as well. God ended up bringing Sarah Beth and Clay together. And just as he brings beauty from ashes, he brought both Sarah Beth and Clay through those dark times to find a newfound joy. Here's Clay to share his story along with a follow-up interview with Sarah Beth. I'm in this convene group, which is a uh, business CEO group, and it's mainly a bunch of business owners come together and figuring out how they put kingdom purpose and become servant leaders of their organization. And it just happened a couple weeks ago that they had a minister that has written books on how to tell a story, which was odd. And Harris, um, who's been a big part of my life, shared that with me. Actually, it was one of the meeting few meetings I did not get to uh, attend, but he shared me the content. And the guy said, he, he tried to figure out why in the world do some of my sermons people adhere to and then some of them just seem flat. And the best person he uh, ever heard spoke told him it's because you got to tell a story. And the story that you got to tell, a good one always has some kind of tribulation, turbulence, obstacle, or adversity that you overcome. Maybe you overcome it, maybe you don't. The good ones are usually when you do. But that's what the Storytellers is about, and that's what the, the mainline theme that I keep hearing in all these women that are telling their stories. So I don't know if the crosses that I've had to bear in my life are, are that exciting to listen to, but you're going to hear them anyway. Um, so, but just before I get to that, i got to kind of tell you a foundation in, about me. Um, and I've heard the, the ladies do that when they get up here and speak. Um, I was totally blessed when I was born. Um, I have two wonderful parents. I was born right down the mountain at Brookwood Hospital. My mama always had me in church. My fanny was always in church. She always taught me how to do the right thing. Um, gratitude was a big part of it. 
I always had to write thank you notes. Anybody tell your kids to do that? She still tells me to write thank you notes, and I'm 45. I know she's somewhere around here. She doesn't, she doesn't quit being mama bear, and but that's a good thing. Um, she taught me how to be kind, and one of the things I learned from her the most was she always finds the good in everybody. Because there'd be somebody I just thought was a heathen. And she's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, they did this really nice thing, and you have to give them a break. I'm like, what? Always found the person. And that's a good quality. That's a biblical quality that I learned from her because we are all made in God's images, and we always have good in our hearts somewhere, some someplace. Um, and she's taught all my, my, my siblings the same thing, and so I, I thank her for that. Um, then my father, uh, as a... You know, I was thinking about what to say about my dad is, you know, a, you know, if you think about most 12-year-olds, and I got some kids that are around 12, if you ask them who their hero was, especially a boy, you might get, my, in, back in my day, Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, Cornelius Bennett, would have been more mine, not Bo Jackson, but Cornelius Bennett, uh, Major Ogilvy, you know, when I was little, those were, those were the ones, but I truly can say in my heart that if somebody would ask me that, I would say it was my father. Um, He had a significant impact on my life. And so what I'm going to do today is tell you a couple of vivid moments that I remember with my dad where he laid a foundation. And there's many more than this. It's just we don't have time. Um, But I remember uh, one of the most memorable moments I was going hunting with my dad. And we were in a just me and him and we were in his car and we were driving to Moundville is where we were hunting and I, I even remember where I was we were right in front of the Mercedes plant in Vance and I was right out of school and you can imagine when you get right out of school you're thinking about your career and how do I get rich how am I going to become financially stable that's what success was that's kind of what college drove you to you know how am I going to do this I want to be successful I want to make money and so I I got to talking about somebody that I thought was successful in a worldly view, you know, because they had been successful monetarily and financially. And I remember talking to him about that in the Lee Hagler fashion. He kind of turned his head and those little beady eyes of his, he looks at me and he says, son. And whenever he said, son, you're like, oh, here he comes. He said, son, define success. And that's all he said define success and I'll never forget it I even remember where I was on the road you know on uh, the highway to Tuscaloosa or to Moundville and I try to leave that legacy that he gave me to my children and I always talk to my children about it and I said well what's you know define something that's a worldly definition of success that you're talking about and they talk about popularity define popularity what is popularity you know, don't let somebody define it for you. Let God define it for you. And we have a saying in our house, and Sarah Beth said it in our story, that says situations don't define you, God does. And that was a biblical truth that my father taught me. Um, the next story that I want to tell you about him was I was I, I kept noticing when he was in conversations, and, you know, we talk about work. That's what we do all day. And I would hear him say, you know, so-and-so that I work with. Or Jim, who I work with, said this. And I just thought it was odd because my dad was the boss. He owned the company. And I asked him one time, I said, hey, and he probably doesn't even remember this, but I said, hey, why do you always say they work with you? They work for you. 
And in Lee Hagler fashion, he looks at me with those beady eyes and looks at me and says, son, nobody works for you. They always work with you. And it was a true biblical statement of servant leadership that I'm trying to learn today. And what he was trying to get at, and I, and I, I think about out of Matthew when it says, and we talked about it on the porch when we were praying before y'all all got here. When two or three men gather in the name of the Lord, he must be in your midst. You can conquer anything in a community of believers. And that's kind of what I'm going to talk about tonight. So I had a great foundation to overcome the crosses that I have to bear. And I might have to overcome more. I don't know. And these crosses are not the worst crosses that you could face. There's other people that face and are carrying a cross much more significant than this. These just happen to be mine. Um, the first one I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you about three. The first one, and, and if you got to imagine, most of our our tribulations and turbulence occur when? Usually when we get a little bit older, right? Maybe towards the later, later, later part of our high school year, but most of the time it's usually when we get into college or we become adults. So my first one, and I know this is going to sound silly, but I thought I was in love. In fact, when Sarah Beth told her story, this was her first one she started with. I dated a girl for four years. She was my world. I had outkicked my coverage. If y'all see me, I'm pale skin, freckles, a little pudgy. I wear husky jeans when I was little. My mom had a hard time finding me jeans. Um, so I, I was like, man, I had I have done it, and she was my world. Okay. Well, as you date somebody a long time through college, a lot of times they meet other people. And she was a sweet girl. I mean, it was it, nothing against her, but she found somebody else. And boy, I, was I heartbroken. Um, and I acted probably, no, no offense to the ladies, I was acting a little much like a lady, as my dad would say. I was, I was sulking in my room. Um, fortunately, I had some friends that kind of pushed me along, and a bunch of them are here. Um, I saw Ryan. I think Ryan, Ryan might be here, but Ryan and Lauren and... Uh, Keith Hager, Sticky around the corner. He was there to kind of help me. Um, and, and so many of my friends, and I'm leaving out a bunch of them, came around and rallied around me and actually helped me through that situation. But I got introduced to this one guy that was in my accounting classes that I really didn't even know. And I kind of call him my guardian angel. He now is the, which is pretty cool, he is the chaplain for Brassfield and Gorey. Think of an organization that has a chaplain. That is pretty cool. Um, and so Jim Gorey hired him to help with his staff and all the employees of Brassfield and Gorey. Um, but he was kind of getting mentored at the time by his father-in-law, Mr. Collins, and some of y'all might know from Auburn Lee Collins, but her dad was the uh, chaplain for the Atlanta Falcons forever. And so he was mentoring um, Brent. And so Brent ended up not going into accounting, even though um, he graduated accounting, he went straight into the ministry. But he shared a verse with me that has become my life verse. Um, I, I tell it to everybody that'll listen to me. They probably get sick of me saying it. I, when I teach Sunday school class, Missy's laughing because she's seen it, probably heard it about a hundred times. It's out of Romans and Paul's talking to them and they're under conflict. And he says, we must rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings bring perseverance. Perseverance brings character. Character brings hope. And hope will never fail you. And so I would just say over in my mind, trying to grasp this that Brent told me, perseverance, character, hope. Perseverance, character, hope. 
and tried to figure out what that meant. And then I finally realized it, even though it seemed so silly because it was just over a college sweetheart or whatever that you thought you were in love with. But I started to realize that I was getting closer to God during a, a troubled time because the only person I had to turn to was him and the friends around me that were trying to encourage me to do the same. Well, I, I overcame that. really wasn't that big of a deal, right? So I was fine. I was like, okay, that was bad. Now I'm good. I, I'm, I can carry on with life. You know, everything's going to work out. Well, it did. I got married. You know, I had a good career. Got hired at a big six accounting firm as the job I wanted. Everything was great. And here comes our first, our firstborn. Okay? And you can, you, y'all can imagine when you have your first child. I mean, it's, it's, it's you can't even experience. I heard Mickey Morgan, one of our ministers one time, say that's the closest that you can come to realizing how God loves you. But you can't even get there. Okay? Is that a tornado? Sorry. <laughs> Golf course. Okay, golf course. Okay, um, I was like, "Uh oh, run for the hills." Uh, so, so, um, so Maddie was born, and everything was great. She comes into the hospital room, and mom and dad and all the grandparents, everybody's in there, and we're oohing and on over this cute little thing. And I'm a little biased. I thought she was the prettiest baby in the NICU, or not in the NICU at the time, in the nursery at the time. You know, big blue eyes. And I swear she smiled, even though she probably didn't, but I, I, I swear she did. And so everything was fine. And then about day two, the pediatrician came in and said, hey, we've got to take her to run some tests. I didn't think anything of it. And then the surgeon comes in and said, hey, do y'all have cystic fibrosis in your family? I said, well, no, I don't even know what that is. And they said, okay, well, that's probably no. She just probably has a little pinch in her intestines. We're going to go in, take her surgery, take it out. She's going to be good. Yeah, and that's what I felt like. Okay? Um, so I, I was terrified, you know? And so, okay, so they take they take Maddie out, and they come back and say, we're going to have to take her to surgery right now. So I'll never forget it. It's a vivid memory, just like I had with my dad in the car, except that one was a little bit more memorable. I wish I could forget this one, but I can't. They were wheeling her on a gurney, and she's got a little – and she's only about this big. I mean, she's tiny. And she's wheeling it in the surgery. And, you know, you got tears in your eyes. And then the nurse says, hey, this is as far as you can go. You can't go back any further. Kiss your baby. Y'all go to the waiting room. And they're a little direct. You know, not a lot of bedside manner. Um, and so I go into the into the uh, waiting room. And I remember all the families in there. And about, nah, it seemed like an eternity, but an hour and a half later, the surgeon comes comes in and says, can I speak to the parents of uh, Madeline Hagler? And so we go out there, and I'm leaning up against the wall, and I have a little Coke in my hand, thank goodness. And they say, hey, um, we found a meconium ileus in Maddie's intestines, which is a symptom, and we're pretty about 99% sure she has cystic fibrosis. And I just dumbfounded. I look at him, and he goes, do you know what that is? I'm like, once again, no, never heard of it. It's an orphan disease. Only 30,000 people in the U.S. have it. So I say no, and I shake my head, and all of a sudden, he looks at me, and this is, this is for real. He looks at me and says, hey, they've come a long way with the medications for CF. They live into their teens. I know children that are leaving, live until 14 now. 
And all I remember is like, I'm fixing to faint. And I'm supposed to be the strong one. So I'm guzzling Coke, trying to stay up. Well, come to find out, he just had bad, bad, bad bedside manner and didn't really know the facts. So when we talked to the CF doctor, like, no, 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 that's not the case. That used to be the case, but not anymore. Medications have come, you know, and they're, li- they're living into their mid-30s. And I was like, well, that's great. That's, that's not any better, you know? Uh, thanks. Um, but what I witnessed at that point, I, I was like, okay, I've got to get through this, and I've got to be strong for my family. So I went back to what I learned, the foundation that my dad had given me and my mom had given me and how it was reemphasized by all my friends, my coaches, my teachers, Brent Perkins, my guardian angel that came down and shared me my life first. I knew where to go. And just a side note, um, my coaches were pretty impactful in my life. I know this has nothing to do with it, but I have a side note. If your child has a chance to play for Buddy Anderson, thank, be thankful. Okay, and he ain't gonna be around much longer. So I hope he has. I hope you have the chance that your child plays for him because he's a great, great man. And it ain't about wins and losses. All right. So back side note, just a little feedback for Coach Anderson. But all right. So I have to go to this foundation. I have to get through this somehow. And and I'll, another note that I remember that I wasn't even gonna mention. Sammy Dunn, who also coached me, which was one of my primary coaches, was the first one at my doorstep in my house with tears in his eyes, with a present in his hand to make sure that I was doing okay. So they had a huge impact on my life. Um, So I had to get through this, and so I used that life first. I used some other verses people shared with me. One of them I remember is out of 2 Peter when somebody said, hey, have you ever read this verse? It says, one day... Here on earth is like a thousand years in heaven. Now really think about that. If it really is, one day is like a thousand years in heaven. When we get to eternity and look down on this, we're not even going to care about all our loved ones going through problems because it's going to be a blink of an eye and they're going to be up there with us. So it's not a big deal. So I I started, you know, trying to dive into scripture and learn about this stuff. And it started working. I started getting okay. I was like, it doesn't, you know, I'm going to make Maddie live. I'm not going to put her in the bubble. We're going to live life. We're going to learn about all this stuff, and we're going to make a difference. And sure enough, the community around us started forming, and also around the world, or around the country. And they started raising money, and they have been doing it for years. But this little community of Vestavia, and this is a chance for me to show my gratitude because there's so many of y'all in here that helped me. Little Maddie's team... Because of y'all and God and your prayers, just our little team has raised $1.5 million over 15 years of our lifetime. And other teams have done that. And because of that, the medications are phenomenal. They got medications out now that are reversing the symptoms of CF. And that's because of the community of believers. And that's what I always tell at the CF rallies when I talk. All right, so we got through that. We're still struggling with it here. Maddie's doing pretty good. Every once in a while she goes in the hospital, but she's doing wonderful. Um, another thing I had to learn, too, is you have to give so much attention to Maddie sometimes. you got to make sure you love on your other ones. And even with Sadie and Miller entering in, we still have to do it with them. And so we have to continue to pray for Molly, Sadie, and Miller, too, that they don't get left out and they feel loved as well. So we got to make sure we do that as parents as well. So... 
All right, so we get through that situation. I am great. Maddie's good. My career's still doing really well. I've opened up my new accounting firm. I got clients like Stockard over here that drive me crazy, but I love him. Um, and everything's hunky-dory, right? And it's like, there's no way I can face anything worse than that. But yeah. Um, so next thing I know is I'm fighting for my family. Your families aren't supposed to break up. And that's what I'm fighting for. And if you know the Haglers, Haglers don't get divorced. Okay? I mean, you could ask my mom and dad. I don't know anybody that's been in my family been divorced. Not my aunt and uncles. Bibi and Charlene were Im- impactful in my life and great. My aunt and auntie, Uncle Steve, my cousins, my grand, my uh, grandparents. I mean, nobody got divorced. I mean, we had a grandparent die at an early age that I never knew that was my mom and Charlene's dad. And if you really want to hear some stories, they'd be a great one to come up and tell um, for what they had to go through as a young age. But you just don't get divorced if you're a Hagler. And so now all of a sudden it was inevitable, something I didn't want, but it was going to happen anyway. And so now I'm sitting here going, all I'm worried about, just as y'all do, is your children. How are your children going to react to this? This is the worst thing, the most selfish thing, the worst thing you could do to your children. And I've got to do it. And I don't want to. And I would do anything not to, but I didn't have a choice. So now all of a sudden I've got to figure out how to button my bootstraps and I've got to figure out how to get through this. And what I figured out is I couldn't do it alone. I used to, used to could. I could go to some scripture. I'm competitive. Start talking about perseverance. I felt like I was in a football game. I'd put my hand in the dirt, and here I go. And I'd get through it. Just a little bump in the road. This one wasn't on the bump. I couldn't get through it by myself. And then all of a sudden, another guardian angel came into my life named Harris Wheeler. Um, that was part of that convene group I was talking about. And all of a sudden, I got introduced to these business CEO group. And I was the youngest one in there. And I was intimidated to say anything because they were so wise. And I just soaked it all in. And I learned more in those monthly meetings from them, not even about my situation, but I could apply it to my situation, that I learned that I was going to be okay. But the main thing I learned is that I had to be drop my pride. That's the one issue I don't think I had conquered yet. I think I had conquered some of the fruits of the Spirit. I'd conquered the, the love piece. I love big. I was gentle. I'm usually kind. My mama taught me, like I said, to be kind. Um, I was, for the most part, self-controlled. Um, so I, I had most of the fruits of the Spirit down. And even though this wasn't the fruits of the Spirit, I, one thing I was was being prideful because I realized I had to drop that and I couldn't do it myself. And so I had all of a sudden, I had all kind of people coming around me. I had, it was like almost somebody died. I had casserole dishes coming to my house. It's kind of silly, but I did. Um, uh, Kylie, I see her sweet face. She was there for me. The Roba shows, my Sunday school class, my aunt. You know, all of them gathered around. Once again, a community of believers to help me get through this. But the one thing I, and and that's important. I want to get back to that. And I shared that verse. When two and three gather together, God must be in their midst. And that happens. And that's how we overcome situations is helping each other. And that happened to me. But one of the biggest lessons I learned about pride was about forgiveness. 
And that's one that you would think, well, that's the whole premise of our faith. Why did you just learn about that one? Because it's the first time I really had to put it into action. And that man right over there shared the book with me all about forgiveness and had some of the greatest stories in it. And from there, I dug into the stories. And I dug into the scripture about forgiveness. And what I realized is forgiveness isn't for the other person. God does that. He's got that all handled when he set Christ up on the cross. What I had to do is climb up on the cross with him. Because I heard Bill Brunson say one of my ministers one time, don't go to the cross and admire it. Climb up on it. Don't be scared to climb up on it. So I had to climb up on it. And had to figure out how to forgive. And what I realized is that forgiveness gave me my joy back. Which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. My heart left no bitterness. And I was okay. From community of believers and some great friends. So the underlying theme of all these three stories that I've told you is the community of believers came to my aid. And you can all start with the foundation and thank my mom because she said, be nice to everybody. Everybody's good. And when you treat people with gentleness and kindness, guess what? Your community, the community of believers around you and your friends get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then when you do fall, you got somebody to catch you. And that's what happened to me. Okay, so I'm... Once again, I can say, hey, I'm through that. Surely nothing else bad can happen. And Brent Perkins, my guardian angel, in in Brent Perkins fashion goes, well, yeah, it can. (laughs) You got to just keep fighting. I said, okay, thanks, Brent. You're supposed to be encouraging. um, So fast forward about a year after the divorce and Jeff and Anna Moore, um, friends of mine, which I didn't even know they knew her. Anna grew up with Sarah Beth, and Sarah Beth was a recent widow and lived down in Auburn. And I remember Jeff going, I don't, I mean, Anna wants to set y'all up, but she's not going to leave from Auburn. <laughs> and you got a twinge of Alabamaness in you, and she, she's the biggest rabid Auburn fan on the face of the planet, and I, I just don't know how this is going to work. I was like, surely she's not that shallow. Well, when it, when it comes to football, she is. Um, so we got introduced, and the, and the first time that we went out, we talked for six hours, and God was the topic. And somehow I convinced her, to, or I shouldn't say me, that's arrogance. God helped me convince her to come to Birmingham. And when she did leave her home in Auburn with all those great friends, and if y'all go back and listen to her podcast, you can hear what she has to say about those friends that were so kind in her community of believers that helped her get through the death of her husband. When she came up here, I said, I don't know what God has in store, but it's something special. I just don't know what it is. And um, she's here, and she's one of the most godly women that I've ever met. And she gets that from her mama. And her daddy, PP. I don't want to leave you out. I love you too. But they both, they're great, great individuals, and they raised this woman right. And she, I have learned so much from her in the time that um, I've been with her. And we're trying now to take the legacy, the foundation that these two people, and there's dad, mom came in late, I don't know where she is, but she's over there somewhere that left 
left us and teach it to our kids. And, and guys, that's so much more important than anything. Leave a legacy for your children. An eternal legacy, not a temporary. And help them to find success. It's not money. It's not vocation. It's not power. It's all about God. Let Him define you. And so, gather together to... You know, two and three, like I said, when you gather together, that's why we worship together. That's why you don't go about it alone. You learn from others. And, uh, anything to say, <laughs> So, that's it. And I love my wife. Okay, so this comes from a place where I just feel like I definitely want to start out by saying I am only 39 and about to be 40, which is huge for me, but I've still got a lot of learning to do. So the first thing that I want to share with y'all actually did not, is not coming from me. It's coming from a 93 year old, precious, precious lady who was married for 66 years. And this was her free advice on marriage success. Are y'all ready? She says, simply pray together that that is something that um, they did for 66 years and it has worked in mine and Clay's marriage. Um, I will explain. We just simply do it every night before we go to bed. We talk about what's gone on that day, what our children face. It just immediately connects us. And, um, we take turns every night, um, holding hands and I pray one night and he prays another. And I can tell you, honestly, it can be five minutes or we both have fallen asleep on each other um, through that prayer time. And um, for me, I just can hear what concerns Clay. And so that lets me know kind of what's on his heart, what he's got going, whether it be at work or with one of our children. Um, it has been a game changer. So throughout this entire piece that I'm going to be sharing, I'm going to use a lot of football analogy. Clay mentioned in his story, um, my love for football in Auburn. And so here we go with the next one. So the first one was pray together. And the second one is be a dual threat couple. So a dual threat quarterback is one that can run and pass. And defenses have a hard time when they face a dual threat quarterback because they don't know what they're going to do, whether they're going to run or throw. So when I lost Lee, one of the hardest things was making sound, sound decisions all by myself for my children. Um, the whole idea of when dad gets home, we will talk about it. Or let me talk to dad about that that comes up with our children. When Lee went to heaven there were some simple things that the decisions that rested solely on my shoulders were so hard because I was trying to make really big decisions about our future um, after losing Lee. But then the little ones, too, just from do y'all want to grab dinner out or can Sadie spend the night just became almost overwhelming. And so one of the greatest gifts of marriage is that you have a partner. Um, and I just want to remind you that you have someone that should be your best friend. He should be your sounding board, um, your partner in crime, really. Um, be a power couple that can run and pass together. When you make decisions together, you rely on each other's strengths. And even when it comes to 
decisions outside the home or even with children, it is so incredibly comforting to me to know that I have clay that I can bounce ideas off of or pray together with over our children or even just discuss just simplest simple things like from do we want to do Oreos or we are again an organic family or do we go here for dinner or where do we worship or how do we do this these are from little tiny decisions to really big ones always go to your husband first not friends not the phone go to him and he can help you make those decisions third point in this whole football thing is Be his greatest cheerleader. I have never heard, this is a quote from me, I have never heard someone say, she thanked me too much. Or, I just get tired of hearing thank you. I've never heard that. So wherever your marriage is, if it's in a hard place, if you are in a valley or on a mountaintop, I'm just going to remind you to be his greatest cheerleader. Um. Be interested in the things that he's interested in. Even if you don't know a thing about hunting or fishing or golfing, if those are things that interest him, ask him about it. If you're praying together, like I mentioned before, then you're going to know the things that he's got that day that concerns him, whether it's a big meeting um, or a proposal or a trial or whatever your husband does to provide for your family, there are things that he is facing and simply praying for him and then sending him a text. You know, the cheerleaders don't stop cheering when the team gets behind. That's when the team needs the cheerleaders the most. And when your husband, regardless of what your history and your story looks like, maybe y'all are in a hard place and maybe he is in between jobs or maybe he did make a financial decision that you're dealing with and it's hard those are not the days that he doesn't need cheering those are the days he needs to be built up so one third thing the big thing if you have nothing nice to say just keep your mouth closed but we all can find things to be grateful for in our husbands be a game changer and the two words that you can do to do that is thank you. Find something to thank him about. Remember your dating days when you loved every single thing about him. I'm probably talking to those who have been married for years, and it might be hard to start being a cheerleader after you've been married this long, but remember your dating days. Have team meetings. If you want to talk about football, Go on a date night, plan a date night at home, whatever it is that you can do to build him up in ways that you know encourage him and love on him. Be his cheerleader. Okay, the last thing that I want to say and share with you about um, marriage is just on a personal note to the wives. God has showed me that me being in his word daily is so important. I recently heard a sermon, and the pastor looked at the congregation, and the first thing he said, well, looks like y'all have all been eating good today. You know, we wouldn't start our day without eating, and we sure wouldn't go a full day without eating physical food. Just like our bodies need physical food, our hearts and our souls need spiritual food. I have found two places in my home that I regularly try to meet with God. One is at my dining room table, and in the summer with all my children home, it's on my screened-in porch in the back. 
I have to spend time in his word. And he shows me and gives me what I need to do all the things I've mentioned before. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I meet with him every single day? That's my goal. But sometimes it doesn't happen. And when it doesn't happen, it's just like when I went, if I go a full day without eating, I'm going to be weak, tired, groggy, not myself. It's kind of the same when I go a day without meeting and spending time in God's word alone with him is how I can constantly be in prayer and I can be intentional The greatest gift I can give Clay and my children is the gift of being in God's word because when he fills me up, I then can do all the things he's asked me to do. Sarah Beth, I loved what you had to say about praying together and being your husband's cheerleader. And for some people, praying together is something they've never done and can be really uncomfortable. And I think you have a unique perspective because you and Clay have only been married for two years. And so you had to start new traditions and new things in your house, and new ways of doing things. So what would you say to somebody who has been married to their husband, say, 13, 15, 20 years, and they've never prayed together, and then maybe somebody that's newly married? Um, what what would be your, your advice on that? Okay, so the ones, such a good question. So the ones that of you that have been married longer, I would say that our greatest um, prayer request is over our children. And so I would think that it would be easy since a husband and wife are easier to get started by just simply praying over their children. And then hopefully that would build upon each other and then they could open up and pray together more about each other or their marriage. But I would say that just starting simple and it could even be that it's over the dinner table or in the morning before he leaves for work or whatever it is. If it's truly something that you desire, also pray separately that God would just lay it on your heart and that it would be easy. And even if it's just one or two sentences, I do know that I have a friend and she still just feels uncomfortable and that's okay. Um, But she wants to pray together and he prays more over their marriage and their things that concern them. But that is something that she really wants and has been praying separately about that she would just have the strength to do. So I think that that would be where I would start. It's just let's start praying over the children together. And then I think God could just really use that to open it up into praying and just the lines of communication would open up even more. I think that's awesome. We hope that y'all have enjoyed our first attempt at uh, sitting down and doing a podcast. And that was Robin interviewing Sarah Beth. We're so grateful that you tuned in to listen and definitely check out our next episode, which will be coming out in a few days that will feature Amanda, one of our other team members and her husband, CJ, and their story of what God's done in their marriage and in their lives. And as always, if you want to know more about Storytellers, you can visit our website. It's storytellerslive.org. And you can read about our ministry and also find our show notes there. Thanks for supporting our podcast and tuning in. And we hope you'll join us for the next episode.